Shabbat Shalom. I will be reading from Galatians 5, verses um, 13 to 18. For you are called to freedom, brethren, only do not turn your freedom into an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. But the whole law is fulfilled in the word, in the statement, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, take care that you are not consumed by one another. But I say, walk by the spirit and you will not carry out the desire of the flesh. For the flesh sets its desire against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh. For those are in opposition to one another so that you may not do the things that you please. But if you are led by the spirit, you are not under the law. Last week, I think most of us were here last week. Is anyone here uh, this week that, that would mean anyone here? How does it work? I was going to try that joke where, you know, if you're not here, raise your hand, whatever. Anyone, was anyone not here last week? Okay. I can't figure out how that, that was not planned, so I don't know how that, I can't put that joke together on the spot. But last week, um, Chaim talked about uh, keeping the law wrongly. And just as a side note, we didn't mention Chaim today, but I don't know if you realize, Chaim is at a, 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 a biannual uh, conference for the Union of Messianic Jewish Congregations. Um, if you want to know who they are, you can go to umjc.org, and that is where he is right now in Chicago. They have a, a, they have a winter conference, which I went to, and they a leaders conference, and then a, one in the, uh, in the summer, which is where he is. So he's in the, I've never been to Chicago, but I think Chicago in the summer is not like this room. I think it's a little different than this room right now. So that's where he is right now. So just keep, you can keep him in prayer, and he's there. Um, the UMJC is uh, you know, a group of, uh, again, it's a union of Messianic Jewish congregations, and they're, they're working really hard. You know, people, there's lots of different organizations out there, uh, Messianic Jewish organizations. Um, there's the, the UMJC, the MJAA, the IAMCS, and you know, all these kind of things. But the, uh, the, the reality is, is that... Um, the efforts are, are, have been ongoing for decades. The efforts are worthwhile in, order, in an effort to, I don't want to say come to agreement as much, but to come to, some, to, to, to sharpen each other in terms of, uh, of theology, specifically Messianic Jewish theology. And there's a lot of, of people now in, in the Messianic Jewish movement, Jewish believers who have PhDs and advanced seminary, seminary degrees and so forth that are really working hard on, on, on kind of putting together some theology that's been sort of, I would say, ignored in the mainstream church, if you will. And so there's a lot of good, good, um, good things going on at the UMJC. And just pray for Chaim to have wisdom and discernment with regard to what's going on there, the directions that's taking, whether or not we as a congregation will um, officially become a part of the UMJC. That's a lot of things that are going on right now. So that's part of why Chaim has been invited to go there and why he is there. So last week... When Chaim was here, he spoke on the same topic. This is kind of part two, um, but it could be meant many parts when you read Galatians and you talk about this idea of keeping the Torah. Certainly, uh, in, a, in a Messianic Jewish context, that can go in a lot of different directions, discussing about what does Torah mean, what does law mean, who's a Jew, what, all this kind of stuff. And it gets very tricky. And honestly, uh, I had a little bit, you know, I struggled this week reading through Galatians, trying just even to sort out some things that I think God wanted to, to share today. But last week, Chaim talked about how keeping the Torah wrongly can lead you into a pit. 
was the title, and that's this week's title as well. And there are several pits, I would say, um, and the pit that Haim focused on last week was the, the, the pit of thinking that, um, you know, I have to keep the Torah or I have to do certain things to please God, otherwise he'll, um, in Haim's terminology, I'll be nuked, is what Haim will say. Um, I will be destroyed if I don't do that. And he explained, Chaim explained that the real issue um, that Paul was talking about and the real issue that really trips us up is not so much the law per se, because that's a lot of times what people want to focus on when they read Galatians or the expanded Galatians, the book of Romans. Um, you really want to focus on the law, but what Chaim was explaining is that the real issue is not so much the law per se, but our relationship with God, specifically what it means to be a child of God. If you remember Chaim talking about that, that really child-children, this ch- relationship he was reading in chapter 4, verses 1 through 10, that was really more the focus than the law, per se. He's understanding what it means to be a child of God. And Chaim pointed out that you know, we have a basic insecurity about who God is and who we are as children of God and who we are in him, and we don't really understand. I was actually talking to someone earlier today about this idea, you know, that, that, this, that God lavishes his love upon us and so forth, and the truth is we, we say that, we know it, it sounds very good, we wouldn't disagree with it, but, you know, the gentleman I was talking to is not a, you know, was not a, a 20-year-old, wasn't a 30-year-old, a 40-year-old, this is someone who's lived a, a good bit of life and uh, is just now getting or even struggling with getting the fact that God does love him and God does lavish his love upon him. Because otherwise, as Chaim pointed out last week, we think that if we're not on target, okay, and specifically on target, meaning by our own judgment, our own how we judge our behavior and what we're doing and so forth, if we feel that we're not on target, um, if our lives aren't on target, that God is upset with us. And that in order to turn things around, we've got to do something. Okay? And that was the the trap or the danger or the pit that Chaim was talking about. And again, we could go off in another direction and talk about, well, what about good works? And Galatians 5 does talk about this, but we're talking a little bit more of, the, of like the overview level, that, you know, in general, this idea that, you know, our salvation is not, does not hinge upon um, us needing to turn things around, and God's not looking at us when we're not doing things in a right way and so forth. And I think that most of us uh, here are in a basic agreement with that, and we're in a basic agreement with what Paul's primary argument is here in Galatians, and that is that, that justification and that right standing with God does not have to do with, uh, with following any commandments or any standards that he's laid out in the Bible. That's not where our, our right standing with God comes from. I think that we would be in agreement with that. And so this week, I want to continue along that same line of thought, that kind of uh, more upper, kind of broad line of thought, that, and spend some time considering what it means, as Bix read today, what it means to um, live by the Spirit, specifically as opposed to the flesh, because that's what's being talked a lot about here. Verse 16 in this little section I ha- had Bix read really was, the as I was reading through Galatians this week to figure out what is it you know, to, to, that we want to spend some time with, this verse 16 really stood out to me, um, and I sort of see it as a, a theme verse in, in this section, in this message, kind of a, a hinge, if you will, and the focus, I think, of this passage. Because verse 16 says, to live by the Spirit, I say, and do not gratify the desires of the flesh. I can't remember what Bix's translation, if it said live. Does anyone have anything dif- different than live? You should have something different than live. Oh. Hey, walk, look at that. Walk. And that's really what it is. 
it's a, it's a command in, in the Greek there. It's, a, it's an imperative command, basically telling you to do something. It says to walk, walk about to and fro and do it in a con- continual manner. So it's this ongoing idea of walking by the Spirit. So I think it's important since it's an ongoing thing. When you read a, a, any Hebrew um, version of the New Testament, which is you know, a translation from Greek into Hebrew, they use the word that a lot of us are familiar with, uh, halach. Anyone know halach? Anyone not heard of halach? Doesn't know what halach means? Halacha. Halach is just the Hebrew word for walk. And when rabbis talk about how do we live out the Torah, because you know, you know, some people say, oh, the Bible gives us basic instructions before leaving earth. You ever heard that? The Bible stands for that. And so it tells us everything we want to know about everything. I even saw you know, something on PTL. I breezed through the other day. The guy was in there just saying his argument was that the Bible tells us everything about everything about everything. You know, we can argue that. Does it, does it tell you about everything about everything? How about how to fix your refrigerator? Anyone find that in there, you know? I mean, things like the point is, the truth is the Bible tells us a lot, but not everything. So the rabbis come up with, you know, well, what do we do in this particular situation? And when they decide what that is, it's called halacha, meaning how do we walk it out? And that's what, that's what verse 16 is talking about. It's talking about a, a, uh, a spiritual halacha, if you will. Um, and that if you do that, if you, if you continue, if you walk, and actually in the Hebrew it's this... Um, it's called. It's a reflexive idea. The idea of walking to and fro. Even like in Genesis, when God is walking to and fro in the garden, exact same word is used there as a command. So we're gonna we're gonna look at this idea of kind of what a spiritual halacha is, and I hope that that when we're done, um, we'll have it all figured out. No, <laughs> I do hope that when we're done. Seriously though, I think that I would hope that what we'll have is maybe just a better grasp and a feeling about what it means to have freedom in Messiah. Because that's how this passage starts, this idea about don't be under bondage, but be free. What it means to have freedom in Messiah, to walk in the Spirit, and to realize that the freedom that we have is not about you and what you are free to do necessarily. Because that's, again, where a lot of the focus goes. What What do we have to do? What are we not free to do? But that you will understand that your freedom, whatever that might be, is ultimately powered by God, empowered by His Spirit. So again, we know this. I got an amen, right? We know this. We know that eternal life, salvation, right standing with God comes by way of faith and belief, and uh, I don't think anyone here is going to argue that it's based on something that we do or continually do necessarily, and that when we don't do, we lose salvation. But how does that typically play out? In other words, this understanding that as believers our lives are characterized by freedom and not by bondage, how does that typically play out in the lives of believers in your life or in the, when you talk to, to fellow uh, believers? You know, I have a friend, uh, he actually, when he was in Maryland when I was living in Maryland. He, I don't live there anymore. He doesn't live there anymore. But he had, he was telling me this story about, he, had a, he was with a guy who was a Muslim, um, a friend of his, and my friend here it was a, is a believer, and so they were out one day, and this was during, this guy was a relatively observant Muslim, and this was during the, the season of Ramadan. Anyone familiar with Ramadan? I don't know all the details of Ramadan, but I do know that on a practical level, they fast during the daytime or from morning to, to evening. So this was during that time of Ramadan. These guys were out together, and they were somewhere where they were giving away free donuts. And this was in the daytime. And uh, so there's the donuts, and there's these two guys, and this Muslim guy says, you know, well, it's Ramadan, I, I can't have any donuts. And the guy I know is telling me the story, he says, you know, I grabbed the donut, and he said, freedom in Messiah, baby, is what he said. 
Now, is that what freedom of Messiah is all about? Is that what walking by the Spirit's all about? <laughs> the ability to, to do what we want and not be in bondage to some rules or regulations that might prevent us from, say, scarfing down a donut in the middle of the day during Ramadan. Is that what it's about? You know, it's funny. We say that we're justified by faith, but if you ask a believer, you know, what does it mean to be a believer? Someone asks you today, Flo, you're a believer. What does it mean to be a believer? I think the, the practical reality is, is that what comes out of our mouth or what comes out of that person's mouth is going to be a list of things, right? Typically, it's going to be a list of things. So we say we're justified by faith, yet we, we come up with a list of things when, when push comes to shove on, well, what does it mean to be a believer? So isn't that a bit weird? On the one hand, we're, there's nothing we can do to earn eternal life, and we're quite allergic to anything that's works righteousness. I hope we are. But on the other hand, when we're asked about what it means to be a believer, we come up with things that we should be doing. So again, what about being free? You know, what about that, that, the, 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 that interplay between yeah, no works righteousness, you can have a donut, but that's not what freedom's about, you know. Um, some different things I've heard over the years in terms of, you know, the, the, the Torah or the law or God's commandments. And this is just some general things. You've probably heard some nuanced differences or pieces of one or the other. But I've heard everything from, you know, people very, being very argumentative and showing in the Bible that the Torah is good and, and truthful and just, which it is. We have many scriptures about that and that legalism is the issue. I talked about that last week as well. Legalism is the problem. So Torah itself is not legalism. That's kind of one side. I've heard the other side over here, actually, a good friend of mine who I worked with in Maryland, a believer, one time was just sort of telling me, yeah, you know, we know that, that, that God gave his, his Torah and everything in the Old Testament there. That's an incredible high standard. And God said, you know, he gave it to us just to show us that we couldn't do it on our own. That was the point, is that this is the standard, the benchmark, and the, it exists to show us that we can't do it to lead us to Messiah. There's that, that view. And then I've seen the one in, in, in sort of in the middle there that says, uh, you know, that the Torah is good and just and so forth, and, and, and for right living, it's fine, and it hasn't been done away with, but, you know, it's up to you to kind of pick and choose what you want to follow, what you don't want to follow. And that's kind of, the, I think, somewhere in there, that's kind of the mode we operate in quite a bit. And, and, and there's an overarching statement that I've sort of adopted, and I, I'll bring out on occasion when I'm asked this question, and this is kind of what I, where I land on it, is I say that, uh, you know, Keeping the Torah, keeping commandments and so forth, um, are not a requirement of salvation. And the Torah has not been abolished or done away with. So that's, that's you know, the, the Torah is still in effect. The Torah is not necessary for salvation. Can we admit that there's some tension in our understanding of that? Tension between the poles of, you know, living by the Spirit, which is what... I'm just trying to look at today, you know, where this, which sort of has this idea sometimes, I think, of, you know, we're sort of floating on a cloud, you know. God forbid we do anything, that we're pressured to do anything, you know. Before I floss my teeth, I'm going to pray about it, you know, and there's nothing to do because I'm free, right? And then this other side over here, which uh, I think is kind of the Orthodox Judaism side, which I had this experience uh, two weeks ago. An Orthodox friend of mine was over. He was telling me, that, you know, about... There's, you have to say the right prayer over the tomato because on the one hand, the tomato comes out of the ground. So we say from ha'adamah, from the ground. But then again, it's a fruit because it has seeds in it. So the rabbis argue, do we say, you know, bre, you know pre ha'adamah or bre pre ha'gafen from the fruit of the vine? And, you know, is there some tension between those two? Is there some value in the fact that they're really considering how to thank God? And is there some value to think that we're free? There is. 
but there is certainly uh, some tension. And, and I, where I want to start with today here, at least the one point I want to leave you with and make today, is that I'm here to tell you that this tension should not be relieved. Not only should it not be, it can't be relieved, but it should not be relieved. The tension is absolutely necessary for this whole thing, this question of you know, freedom versus you know, works and so forth. It cannot be relieved. Tension is a necessary part of the equation. Um, <laughs> I've got this thing in my car. Most of you have it as well, whether you know it or not. Uh, I know that uh, Mr. Davidson will know what it is and probably see. It's called a serpentine belt. Anyone know what a serpentine belt is? Yeah. It's this belt. I'll just, I'll just assume that some of you don't know. It's a belt that runs all through your car. Not all through your car, but it, runs, it controls several components at once with one belt. It turns all kinds of pulleys. One pulley makes your power steering go. Usually it controls that, plus like a, an alternator that charges your battery, and then a water pump that cools the engine, and an air conditioner. And, all, and it's all controlled by one belt. Now, if you take that belt out, it's just, I don't have a belt, but it just, you know, it's floppy. It's just a belt. You can sort of shake it like this. When you put it in your car, there's a thing in there also, another pulley that's called a tensioner pulley. And that tensioner pulley is spring-loaded, or loaded somehow, bent metal, something, and you bend it out of the way, sort of put, pull it, and then you fish, you, 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 uh, you know, snake this belt, hence the word serpentine, all through your pulleys, then you release that tensioner pulley, and all of a sudden that belt becomes taut and tight, and it's able to turn everything. Now, if that tensioner pulley is no longer tense, that belt once again becomes floppy and can't turn your steering wheel too easily. Your battery dies in your car. Maybe it overheats because there's no water pumping through it anymore. And then you're also, as you're cursing the vehicle, you're sweating because the air conditioner is not working. All because of a loss of tension. That's all it is, all because of a loss of tension. So my point is that tension is good. It's necessary. It's a part of God's design. But you know what? I don't know about you, but I don't like tension. <laughs> I don't like tension. Moreover, I don't think many of you like it either. You'd rather things be clean, uncomplicated, nicely you know, wrapped up in a little box. And I think that's where people get into a, a, an issue here, especially in Galatians, because they try to, they kind of latch on to what Paul says here, thinking he's released all the tension for us. In verse 14, you look at verse 14, it says, For the whole law is summed up in a single commandment. Whew, thank goodness. Everything's in one commandment. Love your neighbor as yourself. That relieves all the tension. Just love, right? Well, you know, the Torah is fulfilled by love, okay? But this fact does not constitute a command to replace all of God's wisdom and his Torah with some vague instruction to love. And besides that, just assume for a moment that, th that this is the case, okay? That all we need to do to be a believer, all we need to do to walk in the Spirit is love. In other words, that's the... Actually, I was, I was taught this at, at not at Denver Seminary, at a different seminary. And not, not in a bad way, but that on a quiz, I remember the question was, you know, what is the new commandment? And it was the New Testament, the new, new Testament commandment. It was a gospel class, and it's the new commandment is to love. That's the new commandment that's in the New Testament. Um, so, you know, assume for a minute that that's all we need to do, okay? And forget for a moment that, that's, that this is a quote from the Old Testament, that uh, love your neighbor as yourself. That all we need to do is love, right? How are you doing with that? That one simple, sum it all up, just love. How are you doing with that? I've got a thumbs down over here. Eh? 
you know, verse 14, it's funny, usually the Bible will, will, will make a statement and then expand it afterwards. This is actually, the, the expansion of what this statement means is actually right before. So if you look at verse 13, what it means to love your neighbor as yourself, that last little part of verse, th- verse 13, it says, through love, become slaves to one another. <laughs> okay, it puts a little different spin on it. He says, because that's basically the idea of loving your neighbor, being slaves. And this is a, an ongoing imperative command, just like the walk command it's to serve continually, to continually be a slave to one another. So again, think about this. If it's all summed up in that, how are you doing just with that one little thing, that one simple thing, loving your neighbor as yourself? How many, well, how many uh, will raise their hand? Anybody cut their neighbor's grass lately? You know, <laughs> shovel their sidewalk, you know? You're concerned about your own health, right? Love your neighbor as yourself. You take care, you know, you're worried about your health, your blood sugar, whatever it might be. You, how's, your, how's your neighbors doing? Do you have any idea? No, probably not. <laughs> but that's the basics, you know. But I'll tell you, when I hear stuff like that, again, I start making mental lists. I don't know about you, but I start thinking, you know what? I'm going to make some cookies and bring them over to my neighbor. In fact, when it, when it snows this winter, I'm going to clean off their car before they go to work. Those kind of things, et cetera, et cetera, and so forth. Good stuff, okay? But again, the question is, and the question I want us to consider today, is that... Are those things, those list of things that we think about doing in order to fulfill this commandment, are they born out of love? Are they born out of the Spirit? Or again, are they born out of just, you know, we're, we're making a checklist of good things to do? This is the tension, I believe. Um, I may have given you this illustration before in some other message. I don't know. If I have, I'm going to give it again. You can hear it again because I think it really... It really... Um, speaks to this issue of, you know, God's commands in the Torah versus living free and walking by the Spirit. So imagine for a moment that you get, we get a, a husband and wife situation and the, the wife brings a list to the husband, okay? This is a list of all the things, honey, that uh, if you do these things, I, I will feel loved, respected, honored, cherished. And moreover, if you just do these things in this list, I will, you know, things will go well with us. Our marriage will go well. So he takes the list. <sighs> wow. I have a small list. Well, let me, let's just start, you know. He starts going down the list. And actually, it's not too bad. I mean, don't kill anybody, fine. Don't kill me. Okay, sure, no problem. You know, <laughs> don't cheat on me. Don't lie to me. Okay. You know, and really, it's not, not too bad. Checking them off, no problem, each one of them. But then you start hitting some that are like, you know, you can do them, but you got to kind of finagle, like, you know, iron your own shirts. Well, the dollar shirts at the dry cleaner down the street. I can, I can take care of the shirts, okay? Empty the dishwasher shirt, keep the house clean, I can hire Molly Maid or whoever, you know, to come. But then there, then there starts becoming a bunch that, you know, maybe you don't understand or you realize, that's just not me. <laughs> I just can't, that's just not my personality. I can't do that all the time. And, and eventually you start having just being overwhelmed with, with things you can't do, you don't understand, you, you realize you're not going to be able to make it. You're overwhelmed with those more than the ones that you can do. So what do you do? You simply say, hey, you know what? I can't do all these things, so here's the list back. I'm sorry. <laughs> I just, you know, it's better if I don't, I can't commit to all of them. I just probably shouldn't, I just can't do them all. But I will love you. I will love you. I mean, I'm going to love you. But I just can't do all this stuff. I don't really understand some of them, and it just, they're just not my style, okay? Is that okay? 
Now, this is your spouse. This is the one you profess love to, the one you said you honor and cherish forever. Here's the point that I want us to think about. Because to me, this is, this, I don't want to say it's relieved the tension, but it's kind of given me a little, again, I'm uneasy with tension, but it's kind of put that in perspective for me. The point is that because you love your spouse, you should absolutely want to do every single thing on that list. You should want to. You should want to learn about the ones you don't understand or the ones that you don't think you can do. You should really want to figure out the motivation behind some of them and learn how to do them. He wants you to learn how to weld, Svetlana. I don't know what the, what's the big deal, right? <laughs> but why is that? Why is it that you should want to do every one of those things? The problem is not the list, right? The problem, I think, or the, the focus really is not the stuff. It's what Paul talks about right there in Galatians, that it's motivated out of love. That's the focus, not, not the list. Again, we should want to do the whole list. But the sad reality is that I think that giving that list back is really how many of us do, in fact, view freedom and living by the Spirit. How many people view it that way, I think. The Torah, the instruction of God, it's too much. It's impossible, you know, and that we simply just throw it all away in the name of freedom and living by the Spirit as if living by the Spirit means that you don't have anything to do. You don't have to do anything. In chapter 3, you know, Paul, as this is sort of a, not conclusion, but as, the, as an, a tail end of this argument, chapter 3, Paul had started off by supporting his argument that the blessing, you know, he's talking about, you know, where'd your faith come from? Did it come from something you did? Did it come from something you believed? And his argument is like, look at Abraham. You know, Abraham came well before the law, right? And, and it was his belief and his faith that was credited to him as righteousness. That's the argument Paul makes. He's quoting from Galatians 15. So his point being, we think, you know, you read, Gal- not Galatians 15. There's no Galatians. I was waiting for Michael to say that. He usually gives Genesis 15. It's a quote from Genesis 15 in Galatians 3. Um, when, you read, when you read Genesis 15, this is if you, if just to re- refresh your memory, if, if, you, if you forget what's going on there, this is, uh, you know, God takes Abraham outside because Abraham's still wondering, am I going to have any descendants and so forth? And he says, look up at the sky and, and as many stars as you see, that's going to be the number of your descendants. And so God takes him out there and the text says, and this is what Paul quotes, is Abraham believed and it was credited to him as righteousness. So all you got to do is believe. That's all Abraham did. Well, I believe that there's actually a, the, the first incidence of Abraham's faith is actually found back a little further. If you want to flip back in your, in your Bibles to Genesis 12, um, you know, this, is, this is what's commonly referred to as the call of Abraham. Genesis 12, the first three verses. This is where uh, God tells Abraham, he says, you know, leave your family, leave your home, leave your country, and go to the place that I'm going to show you. And then Genesis 4 is not flashy. It's very succinct in the Hebrew, just two words. It says, Vayelech Avram which means, and then he went, Avram. To me, that's the, that's, that was what's credited to him as, as righteousness. That's faith also and belief. But it's an action word. He went. Simple as that. That's, the, that's, the, that's, the, that's belief. That's walking by the Spirit as well, I believe. That's concrete action, not just some ethereal concept or mystical belief. This is not a, you know... This, today's message is not a complicated one. It's not a long one. Again, again, I believe that the real issue is this, this tension and what it means to walk by faith that I think we try to dig in and you know, unravel all these things when the reality is we need to keep that tension there. Um, 
because we, you know, we tend to seek the, the, we're like water, you know, the path of least resistance, wanting only to perform the minimum. You know, feeling relieved that, you know, to think that even though we shouldn't have that donut, you know what, it's okay. It's not against, it's not against the law. So for this week, I, I would say that the pit, once again, is an undue focus on the law, when really Paul is speaking about a deeper issue, which is namely our misconception, our misconception that, <laughs> this is the misconception, we lack the power to, to do the law, right? But we definitely have the power to be free. That's the misconception, because the reality is we don't have the power to do either of those. We don't have the power to follow God's law, and we don't have the power just to be free either. And I think that's the misconception, and that's the pit that we fall into. I want you to turn over to Ezekiel 36 with me. Ezekiel 36, way back, way back the other direction. Not way back. Ezekiel 36, and we read uh, sort of an abbreviated section from this each week. And I want to read here from Ezekiel 36, starting in verse 24, because I think verses 24 through 37, as I, I read back over the, this week, I realized these verses here actually... Um, encompass the last two weeks of messages, Chaim's and, and hopefully what I'm getting across to you today. So let's start reading in verse 24. It says, I will take you from the nations and gather you from all the countries and bring you into your own land. I will sprinkle clean water upon you and you shall be clean from all your uncleanness and from all your idols I will cleanse you. A new heart I will give you and a new spirit I will put within you and I will remove from your body the heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. Now, this is, this is New Testament language. This is right from the, the new, new Covenant, not New Testament, New Covenant that we, that we read in Jeremiah 31, some of the same words there. And the, and the big idea here in these few verses is that this speaks about God taking us in our present condition. In other words, he doesn't say, you know, get yourself clean and then I'll take you and do all these things. No, he says, I'm going to take you just as you are, your present condition, and, and cleanse you. He's not, as, so as, as Chaim said last week, this is, I sort of see these verses as encompassing the message that Chaim was telling us last week that, that you know, this is, this, is, uh, this is not about what we do or not do, that, that God's relationship with us is, is based on our faith, yes, and it's also, it's ba- that, that's, the, that's the relationship he has with us. It's not based on, on our getting ourselves in line first or our, us being on target first. I think that's sort of, that's definitely sums up what he, was, what he was going over last week. In verse 27 says that, I will put my spirit within you and make you follow my statutes and, to, and be careful to observe my ordinances. And you might have some different translations, but most all of you probably have this idea that you're going to be careful to follow two things, you know, ordinances, statutes, maybe it says laws and commands or something like that, but there's two things. He's going to cause you to follow these two things. And I think this is the message for us this week. This, is, this, this encompasses the message uh, for us this week, that namely... That he is, you know, whether we walk by, this is walking by the Spirit, it's his Spirit that he puts inside of us, and that he's the prime mover in this equation, and it's not us. It's his Spirit that enables us to be free. It's his Spirit that enables us to walk in the Spirit, and to keep the Torah, and to serve him. So, you know, keeping the Torah wrongly can lead us into a, into a pit, and, and wrongly wrongly equates to us placing the emphasis on ourselves, gritting our teeth, then, you know, that we're going to get it done as if somehow we can just, you know, we can muster up enough strength to love somebody, you know? As if that really is possible. That's the pit. 
David Stern. Everyone here know David Stern is? Recommended that we've got some books by David Stern. I was reading in his book this week, in his book, uh, Messianic Judaism, speaking about the Torah and halakha, this idea of living by the Spirit. He puts it very well, I think, when he says, he says this. He says, living within the framework of the Torah is not a curse. The Torah itself is good. Obeying the Torah is also not a curse or something to be avoided. He said, but lacking the power to live within the framework and to obey the Torah, that's the curse. So I'm going to read that again. I thought that was a pretty good, uh, I sort of paraphrased him, but that's basically what he said. He said, living within the framework of the Torah is not a curse. The Torah itself is good. Obeying the Torah is not a curse or something to be avoided. In other words, to try to, you know, in the name of freedom. He said, but lacking the power to live within the framework and to obey the Torah is a curse. So again, we don't have the power to obey. We don't have the power to be free. It's all based on his power. When we seek to serve God and others based on our own power, we fall into a pit. Is the Torah rightly observed a good thing? Yes. Are we justified by walking after the righteous demands of the Torah? No. We're free in that regard. But walking and living by the Spirit can only be accomplished through the dynamic tension that God has designed. And we shouldn't try to relieve that. And we need to realize that our freedom, your freedom, is, is and must be powered by His Spirit. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your word being a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. Give us the power to, to carefully follow what you have laid out for us in your word, Lord. But do your work in us so that we can grow into maturity in you and walk by the Spirit, knowing what it means to be free in you, and that we can serve the way that you want us to serve, Lord. In Yeshua's name we pray. Amen.